God wants you to talk to Him, and He wants to talk to you. This involves coming to God with words. This message is the ninth in the series, Rudders and Roots. The message is entitled, Guiding and Guarding Your Mouth, Part One. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will. You can turn to the book of James, chapter 3, the book of James, chapter 3, as we are continuing our series together entitled, Change Your Words, Change Your Life. We're talking about today, guarding and guiding your mouth. How do you guide your mouth? How do you guard your mouth effectively? We're talking about our words, the power of our words. There's perhaps nothing more important in life than learning how to take control of your mouth, your words. Your words are tremendously powerful, have the impact on other people, have an impact upon your life as well. And the Apostle James and James chapter 3 really helps us to understand this. We're going to dive right into that passage this morning. This is the text for today that will sort of set the tone for where we'll go as we talk about a very important aspect of our words and our time together. James chapter 3, beginning in verse number 2. We all fail in many areas. Now, true that is, but especially with our words. Yet if we're able to bridle the words, we say we're powerful enough to control ourselves in every way, and that means our character is mature and fully developed. Horses have bits and bridles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large body, and the same with mighty ships, though they are massive and driven by fierce winds, yet they are steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. And so the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it carries great power. Here James, among a lot of things that he teaches us in this particular section of Scripture, reminds us of the fact that our tongue is a small part of our body, but it has tremendous capacity, tremendous power. Just like the bit in a horse's mouth can direct that large muscular animal where uh, the, the rider wants that animal to go, and just like a ship uh, can be set by the captain toward a direction by the rudder on that large vessel, the same is true with your tongue. Your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. Your tongue is like the bit in a horse's mouth that will direct your life in a very specific way. If you don't like your life, if you don't like what's happening in your life, I would encourage you Maybe one place you might want to check is with your words, because sometimes your words are the very things that are setting the direction for your life. If you're living a life saying, I can't, I'll never be able to, this is impossible, all those things set a direction. If you say, I believe God is with me, God is able, God's going to help me, you begin to set your life in a different direction. So your words are powerful for your own life as well as for, as for your impact upon others. And I want to talk today about one specific area of your words. This is something we haven't covered so far in the series, and I did not want to conclude the series, as we're going to be looking over it the next several weeks, without talking today about one specific area in your life, and one area that I would call God talk language, learning how to speak the language of God. And the main point I want to leave you today, and I hope you'll grab this deeply in your heart and spirit, and this is the one first point you'll see on your notes, is that you and I need to learn to open our heart to God in prayer. God wants to hear our words in prayer. The first practice of what I would call God language really is the practice of prayer. See, if you're not communicating regularly or effectively with God, then you're going to have problems in all the other relationships of your life. And the best use of your words, the best way to use your words well is to use your words with God. No communication in your life is more important than your communication with God. No words you'll ever speak will be more important than the words that you actually speak to God. And so I'm going to take a little bit of time today and talk to you about the power of prayer, the impact of prayer in your life. What does prayer do? How do we pray? Because it's extremely important that we learn to use our words well with God. How do we speak the God language when we approach God with 
prayer. And all of us have areas of need in our life where we need God to come and give us answers and to bring breakthroughs for us. We need to know how to pray well, how to use the right words in prayer. So I'm going to share with you today six things I think will help you in your prayer life. Because all of us, whether you're a novice in your walk with God, you're just learning how to walk with Him, or maybe you've been what we might call a veteran in your relationship with God, you've been walking with God for an extended period of time, all of us can improve our prayer life. And when we improve our prayer life, we actually improve our lives. So here are six things I'd like to help you to remember today about opening your heart to God in prayer. Number one, you need to know and remember that God invites you to talk to Him and that He wants to talk to you. There's an open invitation from God. He's opened a way for all of us to actually have communication with Him. Now, this is far more of a miracle than you and I realize. Because all of us are born into the world as sinners, and because we're sinners, we can't approach a holy God. In our natural state as sinful human beings, we can't get into the presence of a holy God. And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus coming, because Jesus came, and what He did on the cross for us is He took on the penalty of our sins and gave us the gift of His righteousness so that He's now opened a way for us to have a relationship with the holy God. We could not get there without Jesus. You can't just go to God without Jesus. The only way to the Father is through the Son. The only way we have a relationship with God the Father is by the Son, Jesus Christ. And He has bridged the way so that you can have access to God 24-7, 365 days out of the year for your entire life. You have access to God because of what Jesus did for you when you put your faith in Christ. I am thankful for Jesus today. How about you? Because He made a way for me to have a relationship with God. And all of our relationships, any relationship in life, including our relationship with God, is going to rise and fall on our communication. If we don't communicate well, then we'll never have a good relationship. And we must understand that God wants, invites you to talk to Him, and He wants to talk to you. It's called prayer. I want to give you a few verses that remind us of this open invitation that God has given to us in Jesus Christ to come to Him and to talk to Him and to be prepared for Him to talk to us. Jeremiah 29 verse 12 says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And notice this statement, I will do what? I'll listen to you. God says, you'll come to me and you'll call on me and you'll pray. And when you do this, I promise you this part, I will listen to you. Jeremiah 33, 3. Can you read this together with me aloud and loudly as a congregation across our campuses this morning? Let's read together. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Don't you love that promise? God says, call to me. That's prayer. And here's my promise. I will answer you and I'll tell you great and unsearchable things you don't know. Hosea chapter 14, verse number two, take words with you. Take what with you? Words, words with you. We're talking about our words. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, what are we to say to Him? Forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. So there's this invitation that we're to come to God with our words. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. You know it well. Why don't we read this one together also? Would you read with me? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will open, be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Notice there are three injunctions there for us. Ask, seek, 
and knock. Say it with me. Ask, seek, and knock. Everyone that asks receives. Everyone that seeks finds. Everyone that knocks, the door will be open. Now, for some of you, you might say, well, I prayed a prayer before. I've asked God about something before. I've sought God for something. I've knocked on the door of heaven before, and it didn't seem like I got an answer. I want to remind you that in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Christ, when you come to Him and you ask, you will receive. When you seek, you will find. When you knock, the door will be open. Now, here's our problem. Oftentimes, the reason that we don't feel like a prayer is answered is because it wasn't answered the way we wanted it to be answered. And so we've asked for something, and God chose to respond in a way that was different from us, and so we walk away from that situation. Well, God didn't answer my prayer. I'm here to remind you this morning that God answers every prayer of every believer. The prayer, the answer from God might be an answer that says, yes, I, I will do what you're asking me to do. And there are many of us that could stand up this, this morning and across our campuses and testify that we've asked of God certain things and God has heard us and answered our prayer. Anybody raise your hand this morning and say, you've got a prayer that God has answered in your life before. God, God said yes to that. Now, sometimes God says no to your request. He says no to you because he knows what's best for you. Just like a good parent would say no to a child, it's a vital thing because if a child is asking for something that is not to the best interest of that child, the good parent, loving parent is going to say no. And I've asked God some pretty stupid things over my life. How about you? Okay. I've asked God for some things in my life that I'm so glad that He loved me enough to give me a big old capital N-O with punctuation, exclamation marks all over it. Why? Because it was not good for me, and I can look back later and say, thank you, Lord, for yeses, and thank you, Lord, for noes. But there's another answer that God will give you. Sometimes God will say, wait. God will say yes, and God will say no, and sometimes God says, you're not ready for this yet. I'm going to let you wait because there's some seasoning that needs to happen in your life. There's some transformation that I want to work in you. There's some things I want to work in other situations, but you need to remember this morning, Jesus said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So again, Jesus is our way to God. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Notice verse 16. Let us then, that is because we have this high priest who's able to empathize with all the things that we go through, yet he's never sinned. Because we have this high priest, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. One translation says, boldly, boldly approaching the throne of grace, coming to God with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let me tell you something. When you pray a prayer and God says yes, that's grace upon your life. When you pray a prayer and God says no, that's his grace upon your life. When you pray a prayer and God says wait, that's his grace upon your life. God has extended this open invitation to us. He's saying, I, I want to talk to you. I want to spend some time with you. It's an open invitation. And when you and I respond to that invitation, we're blessed every time we respond to it. And by the way, when you do not respond to an invitation of God, what's happening is you're actually refusing God's opportunity for communication. Think with me in your, about your life. How many times you've had, have you had a situation before where you were going through a challenge or difficulty, something was happening in your life, and you talked to another person who was able to empathize with you, and they were able to perhaps help you in that journey and help you work through things, and you walked away from that conversation 
thinking something like this. I am so glad I talked to that person. You ever had that moment before? I'm so glad I talked to that person. Boy, it helped me so much. I just feel so much better because I had that conversation. It's improved my life. It's helped me to deal with something. I've learned in my life that every time that I spend time with God, I walk away feeling that way. Every time I have a conversation with God, I've never walked away saying, boy, that was a waste of time. I've never walked away from a conversation with God that I not, did not walk away saying, you know what, I'm so glad I had that conversation with God. It made a difference in my life. It may have not answered every question. It may have not solved every problem, but I felt strengthened and graced because, grace because I'd spent time with him. And when you spend time with him, not only does he want you to talk to him, he wants to talk to you as well. He'll impart things into your life. Number two, second thing. Prayer is a religious, or excuse me, a relationship experience, not a religious duty. Prayer is a relationship experience. It is not a religious duty. Many people fail to pray because they think of it more as a duty than as a privilege. They consider it something that has to be done rather than something that I get to do. Very big difference between I've got to do this versus I get to do this. And a lot of Christians, they've fallen into the pattern of thinking that prayer is sort of an obligation that they have to do to make God happy with them. If God's going to love me, I have to pray. And so it becomes a a list of to-dos in my life. And so one of the other things I must to-do today is I must do prayer because if I don't, God's going to be upset with me. What I want to remind you of today is that God's not upset with you. God's not angry with you if you don't talk to him. God is just, you're just missing an opportunity to experience relationship with him. So it's not that you and I earn God's favor by prayer. You never earn God's favor by doing anything. You can't earn the favor of God because the moment you've earned favor, you, you actually are not, it's not favor because what you've done is you've worked for something. And so you never earn the favor of God by doing anything in your life. And so prayer is not a religious duty that you have to do. Prayer is something you get to do. Isn't that great to know? It's a relationship thing. I love what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. So personal, it's so relational. It's an amazing verse how relational this is. Jesus says, look, behold, one translation says, I stand at the door and knock. He's talking about your life. He said, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you'll hear my voice and open the door, read the rest with me. I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And I call that relationship. How about you? Okay. It's not a religious duty. It is a relationship. And so when, you are, when you're praying and when you're praying effectively, you're actually spending time with Jesus. You're in his presence. It's a relationship that is being built. It's not a religious duty. It is a relationship experience. Number three, the third thing I want you to remember about prayer and that God wants you to remember about prayer is that prayer is therapeutic. I'll give you a moment to write that word down. It's a little bit of a lengthy word to write down if you're taking notes this morning. Prayer is therapeutic. After you've written the word, let me give you the definition of that word. You may say, well, I know what it means. Let me just remind you what therapeutic means. The word therapeutic means three basic things. It means it is something that brings healing. It's something that is curative. It is something that is restorative. So it's healing, it's curative, it's restorative. Say it with me. It's healing, it's curative, and it's restorative. Okay. That when you approach God in prayer, there's healing that happens, there are cures that happen in your life, and there's restoration that happens. Now, I want us to go to the natural realm just for a moment because most of us are familiar with the word therapy. And we usually think of that word therapy when it comes to psychological services, psychiatric services, that if you're going through something in your life, you sit down and have a conversation with a therapist or a group of, uh, of, of a set of appointments with someone that will help you work through things. 
The primary aspect of therapy is you're talking, okay? You're talking about your life. You're talking about what you're going through. So therapy is, is talk, okay? It's talking through things. A good therapist is a therapist that will not try to always give you the answers, but they actually are drawing out of you what's going on with you so that hopefully in that process of conversation and the right questions being asked that you can actually come to some insight for yourself and that you can actually solve your own problems. Many times I've had a conversation with someone and all I do is ask a few questions and then they, they brighten up and say, thank you, you really solved my problem. I didn't do anything, just ask a few questions, okay? Because what happened was in the asking of those questions, insights happened and understanding began to occur and they began to put the pieces together and oftentimes that's what therapy is. And let me say this is also a little diversion for a moment. Uh, therapy, human therapy, uh, in the sense of psychological and psychiatric therapy, can be very valuable. I'm not against that at all. It can be helpful in your life as long as you are seeking it from someone who does not try to undermine your faith. The Bible says we're not to seek the counsel of the ungodly. Okay. Psalm chapter 1. So make sure if you're seeking some therapy for, for an issue in your life or for, for help in a relationship, there's nothing wrong with that. Just find someone that can honor your faith and honor your belief in who God is. So I don't have anything negative to say about this. Let me, what I do want to say is this. It's amazing how many people will spend extensive amounts of time and money talking to a therapist but never talk to God. They never talk to God about the issues that they're facing in their life. They never invest any energy, any significant amount of prayer time addressing things that are going on inside of them. Why? Because let me remind you who God is. Our God is a healer. Our God is one that brings cure. And our God is the one who is the greatest restorer you'll ever have an experience with. I will tell you this. God Almighty is the great psychologist. God Almighty is the great psychiatrist. There's nobody that will ever know you better than God. I don't care how many years you spend in therapy. And again, I'm not against that. If you need that, it's something that's valuable in your life, go after it. It's great. It's again, just make sure you don't have someone that's leading you down a pathway that is uh, antithetical to your faith. But let me tell you this. They will never know you like God. God knows you on the in, from the inside out. He knows everything about you. He knows what makes you tick. He knows your function and he knows your dysfunction. He knows every part of your life. And so when you and I pour out our heart to God, it begins to open up the door for inner healing. And it opens up the door where God begins to take, on, take us on a journey toward wholeness and wholesomeness in our lives. I'll never forget many years ago, I was driving one day in, in, in my vehicle and I was praying and I was alone in the car by myself. And as I was praying, this is a number of years ago, I, in the midst of my prayer, it was something that I, I was just praying in general about a variety of different things as I was driving around, and something began to come up from way down here that I didn't realize was there. It was a pain inside of my soul. I didn't know it was there. I had no idea it was there at all. And as I was praying, it began to kind of bubble to the surface, and I began to feel it coming up. And before long, I, the pain was surfacing, uh, and it came from here, and it got to right here. And then it started going right here, crying. I began to weep because that pain became very real to me. And as I began to feel that internal emotional pain that I'd not realized was there, it had been hidden inside of me for a long, long time. I didn't realize it was there, but as God, what God was doing in that moment is God was bringing something to the surface. I was having a therapy session with God. I didn't know. I didn't plan on it. 
But I was having a therapy session with God. And so in that moment, as it begins to surface, I found myself communicating to God about this pain in my heart that I did not even realize was there and began to pour out my heart to God. And in the midst of that, I experienced something that I can only describe to you today as the inner healing of my soul. It didn't fix everything about me. I I still have plenty of broken places in my life, as all of us do. But in that particular area, there was a healing that happened in me that happened because God, my great psychiatrist, brought it to the surface, and it brought restoration to my soul. You must remember that God loves you far more than you can imagine. He is the healer of your soul. Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God, our, for God is our, what is He? Our refuge. That word refuge is important because it means a safe place. You can pour your pain out to God because you're always safe with God. You're not always safe with people. Don't go run around telling your problems to everybody because not everybody's safe to tell your problems to. But God is always safe. You can go to God. He is a refuge. He is a place of safety. Psalm 147, verse number three. He heals the brokenhearted and does what? Binds up their wounds. That's what happened to me that day. It was a binding up of my wounds on the inside. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, then Jesus said, come to me. Let's approach me. I'm inviting you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will give you restoration. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest. You will find restorations for your, what's the next word there? Souls. I'll come back to that in a moment. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus said, if you'll come to me, I'll give you rest. I'll give you restoration for your, what was the word I emphasized? Your souls. Let's talk about that just very briefly. The word soul, psyche, where we get our word psychology, where we get our root word for psychiatrist. It's our soul, psyche, the the inner part of our being, the deepest part of your, your personality. He gives you rest. He gives you restoration where in your soul, down in the depths of your personality, Jesus is able to cure. Prayer is therapeutic. Number four, prayer changes you. Why do we need to take our words to God and to pray well? Because prayer changes things, but also prayer changes you. And sometimes the most important thing that needs to change in your life is not the things around you. The most important thing that needs to change is you. Because you're in the way of a lot of things. All of us are at times. We're in the way of things that need to happen in our lives, and we're the biggest problem. We like to think of the situation as being the problem. God says, really not the situation. It really is you. And the reason that prayer changes you is because, you know, I'll need to mention this kind of briefly. I hope you'll think more about it maybe this week as we're maybe going back and reflecting on these notes, maybe in your life group, wherever you do this. But I want you to think about this reality. When you meet with God in prayer, you're meeting with truth. God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Is that not what he said? And so when you meet with Jesus, when you pray, you're meeting with Jesus. And when you pray, you're encountering truth, okay? You encounter truth through his word, and you encounter truth through his presence. And so when you encounter Jesus, you always encounter truth. And truth, you'll never change without truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so until you gain truth, you can't be set free, okay? 
That's why the study of God's Word is so valuable, because it it reveals truth to you and and it liberates you. I think all of us could say today, many of us perhaps here today can say, that we've discovered different truths in the Bible, and we discovered it, wow, we're free. We found freedom because we discovered a truth. Well, the same happens when you and I are talking to God, that God shines lights on things in our life that we could see no other way, and He reveals truth to us that you can't argue with. When God calls you stubborn, you're stubborn. When God addresses something in your life, that's what you are. And so when he addresses something, you begin to realize, okay, I can't really argue with that because, you know, he's right, okay? And so there's this moment where God confronts you and me with stuff as we're praying, and I've had it happen to me many, many times over the years, I'm sure many more times to come, where God will turn the spotlight on me in a certain area as I'm praying, he will reveal something to me about me, not about somebody else, but about me. He helps me to see something in my own life that needs to change. And in that prayer, chains are broken. In that prayer, I begin to discover truth that liberates me. Why? Because I'm encountering the one who is true. Because in prayer, you can be totally honest with God. You can reflect on who you are before Him. And you can let go of all your defenses because you're safe in His presence. You can approach Him with humility because there's this moment of saying, God, I need you in my life. Let me give you a story about this that Jesus gave us in Luke chapter 18. Great story. talks about two men. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So He's talking to the religious leaders this day. Two men went up to the temple to pray. So the story is about two men. The first one is described here, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. So are both of them, where are they? They They're in the temple and both of them are going to pray. Okay, so you're about to get an insight about two guys praying. One is a Pharisee, one is a tax collector. The Pharisee was a guy who did all the religious stuff, but he did it externally. He didn't really have a relationship with God, but he followed all the rules, okay? All the religious rules, he got them down. The other was a tax collector, despised because of the way he lived his life. He would extort extort money from people. I don't need to go into all the details, but let me just tell you, he was the guy that was considered in society the scum of the scum, a tax collector. So you've got these two people going to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. So in other words, the Pharisee goes to God in prayer and says, God, you're lucky to have me. I'm the man. When it comes to doing the stuff, I do it. And you got to be really impressed with me because I got it all together, God. But not one, there's not one single thing in the Pharisee's prayer that is asking for any change in his own life. He has no openness to God. He's approaching God as though everything is right, everything is together in his life. Notice now what happens in verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. What a sinner. So now you're seeing a very different picture. The Pharisee does not acknowledge any need for any kind of change in his life, but the tax collector, the sinner, is now acknowledging, God, I need mercy. I need you to do a work in my life. I need you to help me. Now, the question becomes, which of these two had the better experience in prayer? Which of these two experienced the change that they needed? Well, we know the the end of that story, but I'll read it for you in verse 14. I tell you that this man, the tax collector he's referring to there rather than the other, went home justified, made right with God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is teaching us, uh, this whole story is about prayer, is it not? 
It's about prayer. He said, when you come to prayer and you, you exalt yourself in prayer, nothing's going to change. I'll have to humble you before you can even experience my grace in your life. But if you come to me in prayer with humility, then I'll be able to do something in you that raises you to the next level of your journey with me. Number five, fifth thing, prayer changes situations. Not only does prayer change you, but prayer changes things around you. When you pray, heaven invades earth. When you pray, God begins to move and God begins to change things. And through your prayer, you actually are birthing possibilities and fighting spiritual battles that actually brings God's plan to pass. God wants to use you to be an intercessor for others. That word intercessor means someone that prays for other people and prays for other things. Because your life, your prayer life is not sufficient in just praying for yourself because as you pray for yourself and as God works in you, then he's now equipping you to pray well for other people in other situations. Because our world needs a lot of prayer. Are you hearing me? Our world needs a lot of prayer. Your family needs a lot of prayer. Your place of business needs a lot of prayer. Your neighborhood needs a lot of prayer. Your neighbors need some prayer. Can I get an amen right there, okay? All right. I'm not talking about the ones sitting beside you, by the way, okay? They might need prayer also. But we begin to think about this world that we're in, and God didn't just place us here to exist, but he placed us here to bring his heaven into our world. And so part of the way that that happens is by us praying that into existence. Some of you, in fact, I would believe all of us here today are in this room because somebody prayed for you at some point in time. You would have never thought of yourself being at church unless somebody prayed for you. There was a person that prayed you into the kingdom of God. It might have been a grandmother that prayed for you, a granddaddy that prayed for you. It might have been an uncle or an aunt that prayed for you. It might have been a mother or a dad that prayed for you. It might have been a cousin. It might have been a, f- a fellow worker on your job. But somebody prayed for you. You're sitting in that seat this morning because somebody interceded for you. They called on heaven, and heaven came to your earth, okay? Now, God wants to use you to do the very same thing for other people around you. But you've got to be willing to say, I'm going to go to God in prayer. Why? Because prayer changes things. It changes me first, but as it changes me, it also changes things around me. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. I'm going to need about 10 extra minutes today. Is that okay? I'm going to take it anyway, so. <laughs> Acts 12, 5 through 7. So Peter was kept in prison. So here's Peter. He's been thrown into prison by Herod. He's going to be potentially martyred. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was what? Earnestly praying to God for him. So here he is in prison. He's going to be martyred for his faith. James has already been martyred. Peter's next. But the church is praying earnestly for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So it's describing how impossible it was for him to get out. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains 
fell off Peter's wrist. So if you read the rest of that story in the book of, book of James, you'll see that in fact, he does get up. He's actually delivered. He goes back to the house where the people are praying for him. It's an amazing story. What I want you to see is that the reason that Peter got out of his trouble, the reason that Peter got out of his circumstance was because somebody was praying for him. There's somebody today that has chains on their life that's bound up in a certain way that's about to suffer something that is a very devastating thing in their life, and your prayers can help set them free. Hezekiah is a great story in the book of Ezekiel, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 37. Wish I had time to talk about this, but quickly, there's a man, an Assyrian king by the name of Sennacherib, and Sennacherib was threatening to come down in Jerusalem, and Hezekiah was the king of Jerusalem, the king of Judah, and he was very concerned about this threat of Sennacherib coming in and destroying him. And Sennacherib was sending all these intimidating, threatening messages to Hezekiah about what he was going to do to Judah. So notice what happens. Here's one of the statements of Sennacherib to the king. So say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given to the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries destroying them completely. And you... And, you, and will you be delivered? So here's this intimidating message from Sennacherib to Hezekiah. I'm coming in. Don't think your God's going to deliver you. You're in trouble. It's all over. Judah is going to be destroyed. Jerusalem is going to be taken. Notice verse 14 of that same chapter. Hezekiah received the letter. This is the letter from Sennacherib from the messengers and read it. Then he went to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah did what? He prayed to the Lord. So here's Sennacherib sends a letter to Hezekiah saying, I'm going to destroy you. Don't think that God's going to deliver you. Look at all the other nations we've destroyed. Hezekiah gets this letter and he reads it, says, I got to have God in this situation. Takes the letter, runs to the temple, opens it up, spreads the letter before God and begins to pray. Now, Lord God, verse 20, deliver us from his hand, that's Sennacherib's hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. So now he's crying out to God. Notice what happens in response to his prayer. I'm not reading this entire chapter. I would, I would encourage you to read it all. I can't cover all this today, but notice what happens. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all, there, there were all the dead bodies. What happened was God heard Hezekiah. Hezekiah's prayer, the threat was removed. 185,000 Assyrians were put to death by the angel of the Lord. Why? Because Hezekiah went to the temple and he prayed. Prayer changed things. James 5, 16 through 18. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. You're we're told that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person, a person who's in right relationship with God, makes a difference. Elijah give us, gives us that example. Last point today. I want to put a capstone in this entire message. The last thing I want you to remember as you leave today is this prayer is simple. God wants you to become a person of prayer, so he made it simple. It is so simple that a child can pray effectively. Don't ever make light of a child's prayer. Because children, I've seen children pray heaven down to earth, okay? The simple prayers of a child can make a difference. And in fact, God calls us to pray like little children. 
He calls us to be childlike in our prayer. Prayer is not complex. And I think so many times we get all tied up. I don't know what to say. I'm not sure how to pray. I'm not sure I'm going to do it right. And, you know, do I kneel? Do I stand? Do I hold my mouth a certain way when I pray? What do I do? How do I pray the right way? But prayer is simple. Let's just get down to the reality of how simple it is. Not complex. God made prayer very simple. Why? Because he wants a relationship with you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, Jesus said, When you pray, didn't say if you pray, he said when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Everybody say simple. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Just go to, the, go to your closet, go to your place of prayer, close the door, talk to your Father. That's all I said. Talk to your Father. The unseen Father, he'll hear what you say. He'll respond. Jesus gave us a pattern for prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. You know it well. In this manner, therefore pray. This is how you're to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Most of us know that as the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is, while it's certainly valuable to recite, nothing wrong with reciting, learning it and reciting it. More than that, it's a pattern. It teaches us a certain aspect of prayer. I've taught on this before, and I'm sure I'll teach you on it, on it again in the future, but it's not my purpose today to do that. I just want to help you to understand that prayer simply gave us a very clear pattern of how to pray. And so I'm going to help you today in my last section of my message. I want to give you three, actually two uh, acronyms with four words each that can help you to understand how simple prayer is. How many of you today want to learn how to pray more effectively? I do, right? I want to learn how to pray more. So here it is. It's very simple. I'm going to give you an acronym with the word ACTS, A-C-T-S, okay? And this is when you get ready to pray, just remember A-C-T-S, ACTS. Everybody say ACTS, ACTS, okay? You get down to pray, whether you kneel, you sit, whatever you do, remember A-C-T-S. What does that mean? A, I start by giving God adoration. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So you take just a couple moments in your prayer and say, God, I just want to take some time and I just want to love on you. I just want to honor you and glorify you and praise you for all that you are. I want to remember who you are, God. I want to get my mind off of my problems. I want to get my mind on you. That's adoration, right? Because when you are dealing with life, you're always thinking about what's going on with your life, but you have to shift gears and go from earth to heaven. So now, God, I'm going to adore you and I'm going to honor you. I'm going to bless you. So I'm spending a few moments of my time just tuning up with heaven. That's called adoration, okay? It's worship. And worship's not just something you do on, on the weekends at church. It's something you need to do every day in your life, right? So it's word, adoration, okay? C, A, C, C stands for confession, okay? Now, God, that I've adored you, I need to get some things right with you. I need to open up my heart and talk to you about what's going on with me, okay? I need to get some things dealt with in my own life. That's that spending time with God where you let God work on you, okay? And confession is being real about your sins, being real about your weaknesses, being real about stuff that's going on in your own life, being real about your own imperfections. Anybody here want to just acknowledge today by the shaking of your hand, you're not perfect yet, right? Amen? Okay. You're not perfect yet, and you need to talk to God about where you're not perfect. You need to help ask for His help and grace in your life. Confess your sins to Him. Open up to God so you spend some time adoring Him. Then you spend some time with confession, opening up your own life to Him. A-C-T-T stands for thanksgiving. You move into a realm of thanking God. 
Everybody here, no matter what you're going through in life, you have something to thank God for. And so you move into this gear, say, now, God, I've worshiped you. I've spent some time talking about me. Now I just want to take a few moments and thank you for all that you've done. I just want to thank you for these blessings. You begin to articulate how he's blessed you. And here's something about that, that that happens in your life. When you start talking about one blessing, it leads you to another blessing, to another blessing, to another blessing. Before long, you've spent 10, 15, 20 minutes just thanking God for all he's done in your life because he's done amazing things. If you can't think of anything else to thank him for, thank him for Jesus. Amen. That's the beginning point. Thank you for the fact that Jesus has now come into your life and you have a relationship with God because of Christ. Then the S, it's a big word. Don't get taken back by it. It's the word supplication. Okay. It's a good word because it makes acts, A-C-T-S. So I needed an S word. So there you go. Okay. Actually, this, this whole acronym doesn't originate with me. It's been used for many years by many Bible teachers, but it's very effective. S, supplication. What does supplication mean? It's when I start praying for other things. I'm praying for my friends, my family. I'm praying for my work situation. I'm praying for things that I'm asking God to come into and work in these supplicating. I'm inviting God to work in other situations of life. So supplication about situations, okay, is another way we might say it. So that's the A-C-T-S. Got it? If you don't like Acts, I'll give you another one. And it's simply pray, P-R-A-Y, P-R-A-Y, pray. Very similar. P, start with praise. I'm going to spend some time. That's the adoration part in Acts. It's the praise part in P, P R A Y. Pray. I'm going to spend some time praising on our repentance. I'm taking time to let God work in my life, to open up my heart to Him, to turn toward God, to turn away from things I need to turn away from, to invite God's presence to work in me. A, appeal. You're asking God to do certain things. Again, it's the supplication part of the Acts element. And why is yield? That you say, God, I'm yielding to you. I'm going to get up from this place of prayer. I'm not going to take my problems with me. I've now prayed about them. I'm going to leave them with you. I'm going to yield myself to you. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm, li- I'm yielding myself to whatever you want to do in my life. Whatever you say is right and good. I'm yielding to you. And when you begin to pray this way, how many would you agree with just those two acronyms that I gave you, the acts and the pray? It's all simple, right? Not complex. You can do this. Say it with me. I can do this. Okay. And God wants to take your prayer, your prayer life to a new level. You might be right here and God says, I'm going to bump it up to this level. You might be here. God says, I'm going to bump it up to this level. Because as you pray, listen closely, when you get your words right with God, with this I'm going to conclude, when you get your words right with God, it's far more likely that your words with other people will be right. When your words are right with God, there's a greater chance that your words with other people will be much more effective as well. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray today? Father, thank you for the opportunity we had to study your word this morning. We're so grateful for the word of God. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you that it's something we don't have to do. It's something that we get to do. We get to spend time with you. It's an amazing thing to think about, to be able to talk to the creator of the universe. Thank you, Jesus, for opening the way so that we have a relationship with God and we can spend time with you in prayer. I pray for all of us, Lord, you'd help us to grow in this realm of life, that we would learn how to really apply this and live it out. And I pray for fruitfulness in our prayer lives, for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? 
right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.